We have some stuff planned for this summer, and so we're not going to get to do a Father's Day message. And uh, I, was, I was a little conflicted. Do I do a Mother's Day message, or do, a, do, do we stop what we're doing and do a Father's Day message? And we decided, hey, we've got plans for the summer. We want to make sure we get through that. And uh, so I decided to combine them this morning. And typically, you know, what happens on Mother's Day is we talk about how great moms are. We build moms up. Moms, you're awesome. Moms, you work hard. And then when it comes to Father's Day, we say, Dad, you're horrible. You're not spending enough time with your kids. And so I figured we would skip that one. And hopefully we never do a message like that. Hopefully we can build dads up and not make them feel guilty. Um, But this morning, we're actually going to be talking about raising the next generation. And we're not going to focus on children, but we're going to focus on what is our responsibility to raise the next generation. And I know there's some of you here this morning, you say, well, I did my part. I sent my kids out and they are off the payroll. I'm done. And what I hope you hear this morning is that there is something for you in this message, that there is still another generation. We have three, four other theaters and a classroom filled with children that are in need of being pointed to Jesus Christ, that are in need of being discipled. There are kids in your neighborhood, kids in your local schools that are in need of being discipled. Perhaps you're here and you're a college student and you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to think about kids. I'm not there yet. I'm in high school. There's no way that kids are in my future anytime soon. And I want to encourage you that there is still a need for you to hear this message and to understand the special place that children have in our lives. One of the things that we realize as parents as we look this morning at Scripture, uh, there are some things that none of us really needed Scripture to tell us, but are extremely important when we talk about raising the next generation. What we have to understand is that our kids see everything we do. Can I get an amen? And our kids hear everything we say. Did I hear an amen? Somebody said something they weren't supposed to say on the way to church this morning. They hear everything we say. They see everything we do. They hear everything we say, and then they repeat it, right? And so the reality is that we are making disciples of our children. They forget nothing, and they repeat everything we do. My brother uh, is married to uh, my sister-in-law, I guess, was a kindergarten teacher, and she would always tell her parents in that class, she would say, look, I won't believe half of what your kid's tell me about you if you won't believe half of what they tell you about me, right? Because the kids, they just see everything, they hear everything, and then they repeat everything. And and it's usually in those moments when we have weakness that that's the stuff that they pick up on most. And so it's so important for us to be setting this example, remembering that as they get older, they're going to say and do and repeat everything that they've seen in us. A couple weeks ago, my my wife and I were at Walmart with the kids. Our small group was putting together some care packages for our college students, some little final survival kits. And we're we're going to Walmart to get all the supplies, you know, a soda, some candy bars, gum, popcorn, snacks, and stuff like that. Well, we get to the register, and we do the little self-checkout. And I put some cash in. We didn't have enough cash to pay for it all, so I put the rest on the debit card. But there was a problem. I have my cards cracked, and it doesn't read the chip, and just all sorts of problems. And I couldn't tell whether or not it accepted my payment. And so I told my wife, I said, hey, you take the kids. I'm going to take everything over and make sure that we actually paid for it before we walk out of the store. And the kids are watching this. I walk over to the lady. There's, you know, this poor lady. She's there, and there's like 40 of the checkout, you know, self-checkout things. And she's trying to help people who can't read the screens. They don't know how to work the touch screens. And so I'm just over there patiently waiting. 
And she comes back over, and I could tell it's been a long day. The last thing she wants to do is deal with someone who's probably going to come and complain. And I just hand her my receipt, and I said, hey, I, I put some cash in, and I was trying to do my card, and it kept telling me that there was a problem with the card. So I just want to be sure before I walk out of here that I actually paid what I owed. And she looked at, it was like a moment out of Forrest Gump. Like, she looked at me like, are you stupid or something? She's like, just walk out. Like, that's 40 bucks you could have saved yourself. But I hand her my receipt, and, I, and she's just kind of looking at it and looking at me like, you didn't have to do this. You could have just walked out, and nobody would have stopped you. And I said, well, you know, it's the right thing to do. I just want to be sure that I paid for what I'm taking out of the store. I don't, I don't want to be stealing. And the reality is that my kids were there. They saw the whole thing. They watched the whole thing. And there are many of us here this morning who perhaps that's happened to you, you and you feel like I'm getting away with something and you just walk out. Or maybe you, you hit a car in a parking lot and you didn't leave any information. And make no mistake, your kids are watching. Kids are watching. They see everything. They hear everything. And they repeat everything. Walt Disney said that our greatest natural resource is the minds of our children greatest natural resource is the minds of our children. Uh, I love this idea that kids are like wet cement. I was walking to get the mail with my daughter the other day, and we came across these tire tracks in the cement, and she asked how it happened. She said, so did someone just like ride their bike through when it was wet? I said, absolutely. See, kids are like wet cement. Everything that falls on them leaves a lasting and permanent impression. And I love this idea that, hey, a bike is pretty heavy, and sometimes we think it's the big heavy stuff that leaves the lasting impression, but we have a picture here of some leaves that just landed in wet cement and left a permanent and lasting impression. And so as moms and dads, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as adults in our neighborhoods, we have to understand that there are kids watching and everything we say and do is going to leave a lasting impression. Robert Fulgham, you guys may remember this book that he wrote about uh, everything I needed to know about life, I learned in kindergarten. Does anybody remember that book? And he, he writes about all the things that he learned in kindergarten that still apply today, that he's carried with him for the rest of his life. And that's the reality is that when our kids are little, think about all the stuff that's stuck with you from when you were little. And this morning we're going to see, we're going to start in Matthew 18. Jesus is going to tell us that not only do we leave an impression on children, but children can make an impression on us. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Look at verses 1 through 4. Jesus' disciples had been fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And in verse 2, Jesus does this. It says, Then he called a child to him and had him stand among him, among them. He says, I assure you, he said, unless you are converted, unless you are turned around and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes the child like this one, in my name, welcomes me. We see that, that not only do we make an impression on kids, but kids can make an impression on us. And Jesus tells us that, that we've got to go back to the basics. Because as adults, we can complicate things, don't we? But you watch children, and they're just, they take things so simply, and they make things so much simpler. And Jesus is saying, hey, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to how the kingdom advances, how the gospel advances, how we advance in our faith, 
We need to become like children. We need to take on the qualities of humility, of trust, and of faith. We're going to see this. How do we pass this on to the next generation in Psalm 78? If you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Psalm 78. In verse 2, it says, I will declare the wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from past, the things we have heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell the future generations the praises of the Lord, his might and his wonderful works he has performed. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, the things that my parents passed on to me, I'm going to pass on to my kids. This is what we call generational discipleship. The things that have been passed on to us, We're going to pass on to our kids. We have a responsibility to continue passing on the faith. He goes on and he says, He will establish a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that future generations, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget his work, but keep his commands. I love verse 8. It says, Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I pray as a parent is that my kid's life would be better than mine was. That as they get older, they would have better opportunities than I did. And what I see in verse 8 is that the psalmist is saying, man, don't, don't let my kids turn away from the Lord the way I did. God, help me pass on my faith so that they can be stronger in you, that they won't make the same mistakes that I made, but they would be strong in their faith. We see this idea of general, uh, generational discipleship, and we understand that this happens because, again, kids see everything that we, that we do, they hear everything that we say, they don't forget, and then they repeat it. And so we need to be sure that we're passing along things to them. And the first thing I want us to see about discipling our children, raising the next generation, is that we need to be sharing what God has done and is doing in your life with the next generation. We need to be talking to our kids about, here's the mistakes that I made. Daddy made a mistake today. You know, when I was on on hold, when I was on that call with customer service, I kind of lost it. And if I get a hold of that person again, I should probably apologize. Now, it's probably unlikely that I'll call customer service and get that same person again, so I can't really model that for you, but let me model that for you with my mother or with your mother, with my wife. That when we argue, when we fight in front of the kids, the rule is we apologize in front of the kids because we want them to see that. We want, not that we want them to see us arguing, but we want them to see that we're humbling ourselves, we're coming and we're apologizing and what it looks like to be in a healthy marriage. We want to be sure that we're passing on the things. We need to be talking to our kids and explaining to them what's happening in our faith. We need to be coming to them and talking to them about what God is doing in our life, what we're reading in Scripture. You know, a lot of times we think about discipling our children, and we think it means opening the Bible, sitting down, and having a devotional at home. I can tell you, having had triplets, Uh, When they were little, when they were five, sitting down and opening the Bible did not happen much when you've got three five-year-olds and then a two-year-old. It just doesn't work. But what we could do is we could do what Deuteronomy 6 says. He goes on in Deuteronomy 6, and it says, The statutes, commands, and laws that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And I can tell you, when your kids are little, there's a lot more walking along the road discipleship than there is sitting at home discipleship. 
But when we were out, we could always talk about the things that we saw in God's world, and I could tell them what God was doing. I could, I could help them process what they were seeing in the world around them. We have to share what God is doing and what God has done in our lives. I also love this idea of Joshua chapter 3 and 4, where they're crossing through the Jordan. Many of you will remember that this may have been your kid's Sunday school lesson last week. And ours came home, our, my youngest came home when we were talking about that, and she talked about how they picked up stones from the middle of the river, and then they built a monument to the Lord so that when they walked by, they could point to it and tell their children what God did, how he parted the, the waters of the Jordan, and they walked through. This is the stuff that we get to do with our children. We get to remember that we're walking through life with them, and we get to disciple them as we go and our kids are getting their picture of God from us. They're getting their picture of God from us, whether, whether we're an absent dad or we're engaged as a dad, whether we're angry as a dad or whether we're repenting as a dad. Moms, your kids are watching you. They're watching to see, are, are you one who's cultivating a gentle and quiet spirit? Or are you angry and yelling, get your shoes on, get out to the car, come on, we're late for school. How are we doing as parents? Moms, our kids are watching. They see us as we, as we spend hours and hours and hours preparing our outward self to walk out the door, and they notice whether or not we've spent time preparing our soul to face the day. Are your kids seeing you in the Word of God? One of the things that, that I've done is I've actually changed when I do my quiet time because I want my kids to see me in the Word of God. I want them to see their dad with an open Bible and I want them to ask me questions. I used to do it before they got up, but now I do it when I know that they'll be able to see me. Well, we have to understand, I, you know, we live in a culture that says that children are special, right? Everybody's special. Everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a trophy. But what we have to understand is, yes, kids are special. They're created in the image of God, and they do have value. But that value comes from what the Heavenly Father says about them. Their value comes from what God has intended their purpose to be. And this next part, I'm just going to warn you, some of you are not going to like it, uh, but we're going to go there anyways. Turn with me about 40 psalms over to Psalm 127, about 39 psalms. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard enough to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the ones he loves. What's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, hey, there's stuff that you do in this life that doesn't matter. The work that you do doesn't matter. It's in vain. It's vanity. And now he's going to move and he's going to say, let me show you what does matter. Let me... Let me show you what does hold value. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gates. I love this idea that children, children are a reward. They are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. The picture that the psalmist is giving here is that children are our strength. Children are our strength. And he's already talked about the fruitlessness, the vanity of, of work and putting our hope in work. And what's the psalmist saying here? He's, he's saying that, uh, that children are something that we can rely on. He's saying that 
your job is not what you should be re- relying on for your future. You've got to realize that your kids are your future. We have to understand that we are raising future workers. We are raising future workers. So often we tend to put our strength, we see our strength as our job or our, our house, our money. And what the psalmist is saying is, hey, don't put your hope in that. Don't put your hope in these things. Put your hope in your kids as your future. Put your hope in your kids as your future. And, and I love this idea that our kids are a way better retirement plan than Social Security, right? Can we agree on that? And so he says, hey, have tons of them. Have lots of kids. Fill your quiver. Have kids and enjoy them because they are your strength. They are your strength. They will provide for you when, they're, when you're older. And I love this idea that arrows are something that are meant to be shot, right? They're meant to be released. An arrow doesn't really do you much good if you keep it in the quiver. So parents, I want to encourage you this morning, especially if you have kids that are still at home, parents, your job is to raise your kids as adults, to send them out of the home as adults, not on a journey to become one. Let me say that again. Your job is to send your kids out of the home as adults, not on a journey to become one. What does that mean? It means they should be able to write a check, to pay their own bills, to do their own laundry, to cook for themselves, right? They shouldn't be spending eight hours a day sitting on the couch playing video games when they're 19, 20, 24, 26, 32, right? We need to send them out of the home as adults. How many college kids leave home at age 18 and they're on this journey to find themselves for the next four years that cost you $65,000 a year? We need to send our kids out of the home as adults. That means when they're young, we need to put them to work. And we're going to see this in the next Psalm, Psalm 128. Since we're raising the next generation of workers, that means that we need to put them to work today. Look at Psalm 128. He says, How happy is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife is like a fruitful vine within your house. Husbands, I want you to catch this, that your wife's countenance, your wife's position in the home has much to do with how you treat her, how you promote her in the home. Just something to, that's, that's bonus. That doesn't have to do with kids, but that's just a bonus this morning. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons like young olive trees around your table. The picture is your wife is the, is the branch, and she's sending out these little olive shoots that fill your table. And it says, in every way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. Now, what's the picture here? Let's remember that this is written in a time when most people were living agriculturally. They were living and working on farms, and this is the part that you're probably not going to like in, in terms of today. What the psalmist is saying is, hey, we are raising a future generation of workers, which means we need to train them to be workers today. Parents, you need to put your kids to work. Did I get an amen? We need more. Man, we, I need an amen corner. Are you guys awake this morning? We need to be putting our kids to work because what we need to realize is that they are a future generation. We can't expect them to go out and provide for themselves if we haven't trained them to work while they're young. And here's the reality. We've got to understand that kids aren't, when we teach our kids to work, it's not just that they need to provide for themselves. Think about it. They're going to be providing for you someday. They're going to be providing for you. You need to realize Man, Social Security is not the plan. 
Your children are the plan. We see this all throughout Scripture. And I, I've got a, a little video here. I'm just going to talk over the top of it. These are some clips of my kids. This is Malachi, seven years old, a whopping 32 pounds, 38 pounds, pushing a 100-plus pound mower, 125-pound mower, that he doesn't realize it, but that self-propelled on the front, it spins, but it's not actually working. And so I've got him out here in the backyard. When I was playing this earlier, somebody said, it, looks like, it doesn't even look like your grass needs to be cut. It doesn't. I already cut it, but that boy needs to learn how to work. So I've got, got him out there in July, 104 plus heat, pushing a lawnmower across the yard because that boy needs to learn how to work. This is my daughter, Charlie, a couple weeks ago. She went out with me, and she was picking weeds. People say, how do you get your yard so nice? Well, this is how. This is Bear a couple weeks ago pushing the lawnmower, real mower, old school. And then even our youngest, she's four years old, doing the dishes. Now, you can see the water is on full blast, and it's on hot. Uh, we waste a lot of water when Evie does the dishes uh, because there's about as much singing and playing as there is doing the dishes. But our kids, we put them to work because I recognize that one day they're going to they're gonna be providing for me. And we've had this conversation with our kids. We've said, look, have you noticed how Nana and Grandpapa, that's my parents, they're kind of losing a step? Like, they're, they're just getting older. Like, they're almost 70 and and we were talking, and I said, you know, the day's going to come when you guys are going to move out of our house, and the chances are that they're going to be moving in. Or one of our other grandparents is going to be moving in so that we can take care of them. And that's the reality is, is that's, and I said, well, who's going to take care of your mommy and me when we get that, that age? And they all volunteered, which is great. So we'll probably be shuffled around three months at each house, and we'll be covered for the year. But they already understand this idea that they're going to be providing for someone other than themselves. And that's something extremely important that we have to pour into our kids is this isn't just about taking care of yourself. That's selfish. But you're going to go out and you're going to provide for the other people around you. You're going to be husbands and mothers. You're going to be parents that are providing for other people. And so if you're going to have that responsibility to provide for others in the future, you need to learn what it looks like to provide for others now. We've got to be training our kids to be working now. And, and just so you know, our kids are our future workers. They are ranchers, farmers, and framers, and even personal traders. They might drive a tractor or be a chiropractor. They're mechanics, chefs, and deputy sheriffs, lawyers, judges, and the homemakers that remove smudges. They're IT technicians that keep communication seamless, or web developers and internet marketing genius. They're those who wash and cut dogs' hair, those who service your heating and air, firefighters, police, EMTs, or perhaps missionaries overseas, tax, assess tax assessors, crane operators, or perhaps a restaurant waiter. There are physician's assistants, nurses, coaches, and those who kill cockroaches, principals, teachers, and loudmouth preachers, engineers, landscapers, managers of grocery store bakers, fire safety installer, over-the-road hauler, artists, electricians, musicians, and beauticians. They're there are insurance salesmen that get you the best rates and presidents of the United States. All except for that last one. I just made a list of jobs that are currently in this congregation. Those are our kids. Those are our future. These are the things that they're going to be doing, and as they do it, we want them to understand that they have a responsibility that's greater than themselves. And one of the things that I love is when we get to talk to our kids, uh, we're blessed that, that uh, our oldest have put their trust in Christ. 
Uh, and, and we get to be a front row seat to that. But one of the things that blesses me the most is that the kids that are filling these, these other theaters and other rooms this morning, they are not the church of the future. They are the church of, the, of today. Can I get an amen? amen? They are the church of today. They have the same Holy Spirit that we have. They are gifted by the Holy Spirit the same way that we are. And what I love is I love to see when our kids begin using their spiritual gifts, even when they're young, that we're training them that you are not just future workers. You are workers today, not just in the, in the, uh, in the business world and in the working world, but you are workers in the church, that you have a role and a responsibility and the privilege of going out and coming alongside of us as we make disciples. That's why in our family, this is the first year our kids are old enough to go on the mission trip, and as soon as we knew that they were going to be old enough, we started having conversations with them about, do you want to go on the mission trip? Do you understand if you go on the mission trip that that means no Christmas presents, no birthday presents? Instead, we're going to use all that to get money to go on the mission trip. That we're going to be raising support, and they said, yes, we want to go. We want to help orphans hear about Jesus. We've been giving them little responsibilities, and I, I can't wait to be on that trip with them to see God use them. Because I understand that they are, they are not just my children, they are my co-laborers in Christ. That we give them responsibility of what it looks like to serve in the kingdom. We talk to our kids all the time about, who are you praying for at school? Who are your friends at school? And we've, we, even this last week, I was talking with them about just going to their friends and starting a conversation just by saying, how can I pray for you today? Or seeing a kid that's maybe by themselves on the playground, or a kid that's down and just saying, let me pray for you. One of, one of the greatest blessings was when we got a note home from one of our kid's teachers. Uh, this is the kid that normally gets the wrong kind of note home, and so it was good to get a different kind of note from his teacher that said, today, Bear saw his friend break his arm, uh, and, and when he came back to class after the kid, uh, it was the next day, the kid had a cast on, he said Bear stopped at his desk and asked if he could pray for him. And, and he got to pray for him. We're raising future workers, so we need to train them to be workers today. As we close this morning, I, I want to draw our attention to something. It, as we look over these points about discipling the future generation, that we're supposed to be talking about what God has done and is doing in our lives, and that we're supposed to be training them to be workers of the future, so we train them as workers today. A lot of these principles, these same principles apply to discipling adults. And if you think about it, it's, it's not much different. I don't know about you, but when I had kids, the, my first thought was, man, I am so unprepared for this. There is no way I'm ready for this. Part of that was because we had three at one time. I didn't even have enough arms. Like, we were immediately in zone defense, right? So my only thought was, I am not ready for this. And I know that's how many of you feel about discipleship. Think back to being a parent. What happened? You started walking that journey. You had other people that came alongside of you that said, hey, let us, let us walk with you. Let us pray with you. Let us show you. Let us share with you what, what God has done in our life and how it's worked. And along the way, you grew as a parent and you continued to grow as a parent. So when it comes to making disciples, man, I, I get it. There's going to be a lot of us that say, I just don't feel ready, but I want to encourage you, jump in. Jump in and start doing it. Start sharing with the people in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, uh, in your schools, in the classrooms. Just start sharing what God has done in your life and what he is doing. And maybe you'll have the blessing 
of seeing them move from the harvest field into being a laborer themselves, that they would become a spiritual parent, that they would get to then disciple other people because you've invested in them, recognizing that, that they're now your co-laborer in Christ. This is one of the things that, that really gets me excited about generational discipleship. As we finish thinking about children, I want us to, I want us to think about just some of the opportunities that we have here at River Rock. Some ways that you can be involved, because like I said, not everyone here has children that are still at home, and some of you may feel like your time is up, but I'm telling you, there are kids that need you in their life. There are kids in this church that need you in their life. There are kids in your neighborhood that need you. There are kids in this community that need you. I just want to share a couple of opportunities that we have here at River Rock. The first is in our children's ministry. Uh, We're looking for teacher's assistants in all ages. We're looking for people that can help schedule our teachers. A very simple job, but a very important one. We're also looking for people that would be willing to say, you know what, I'll read the lesson, I'll prepare the lesson, and I'll share it with the kids. We also need people that would be willing to be the face of our, of our church. When families come for the first time or in, as families are coming, someone that would stand at the check-in table and just look a kid in the eyes and say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here today. And make them feel special because they are. They are. There's also opportunities in our youth ministry. JT and Christy Liner have been leading our middle school. Jack and Bell Crouch have been leading our high school, and they could use some help. We have teenagers that need other adults pouring into their lives. One of the things that we pray in this church for our youth and our children's ministry is that what happens there would simply be an echo of what's happening at home. I've said it before that that we as a church are here to supplement, not substitute, for discipleship in the home. And one of the things that I look forward to is my kids get older and older. I did youth ministry for 12 years, and I know the day's coming when they don't want to hear what mom and dad have to say. But I'm grateful that there are other men and women in my life who love my kids almost as much as I do, and I know that my kids have a relationship with them, and when they're over playing at their friend's house, and that dad or that mom says something, they're going to come home and they're going to say, Dad, did you know? And they're going to repeat something that I told them a million times, but because Sam Sepulveda said it, all of a sudden it's the wisest thing that ever happened in their life. Because it came from someone who wasn't dad. Dad, did you know? And all of a sudden, because they saw Renee Galan acting in this way, my daughter's going to say, Dad, did you know? I'm going to say, well, your mom's been telling you that for the last 14 years. But yes, we're glad you just figured that out. There are kids that need you. There are kids... Uh, that need you to host a backyard Bible club, kids on your street that need a safe place to go where they can hear the gospel and just be loved. There's opportunities in partner like-minded ministries like Young Life and Wildlife. And there's a couple opportunities that we actually have in the school district. You may or may not know this, but we have an amazing superintendent here in Georgetown, Dr. Brent. And I've had a number of conversations with him about how, how can the church be helping the schools. He said, man, I don't know what it looks like, but I can tell you we need more Christians in our schools. And there's two opportunities. One that I've been a part of for the last four years is mentoring. I just go and I have lunch with a kid one day a week. It's about 30 minutes out of my week. I go and I have lunch. Uh, this, this little boy and I, we usually end up playing uh, Uno. For the last four years, we've played Uno. 
And there are days when I feel like I'm not making a difference at all. There are days when I'm seeing him struggle. There are days when all I can do in my head is just pray for this kid, pray for for his family situation, pray for his situation with his friends at school, and I feel like I'm making absolutely no difference. But when I get up and and I turn to go, he reaches his arm out to give me a hug. And then I hear from his teachers that, oh, you're you're this young man's mentor? Man, he looks forward to Wednesday every week. That's all he talks about. That's all he talks about is my mentor comes today. My mentor's coming tomorrow. My mentor was here yesterday. And it's making a difference in his life. There's some of you that, that there's a kid who just needs 30 minutes of your week. There's another opportunity that we're going to be talking more about next year, which is Book Buddies. This is, this is a program called Education Connection where you go and for 30 minutes you get to read to two different kids. You, you read to one for seven and a half minutes and then he reads to you for seven and a half minutes. Then you have another kid that you read to and then he also reads back to you. 30 minutes out of your day. And here's why this is so important. Many people don't know this, but the way that they predict future jail populations, how many beds they're going to need in the future, is that they look at third grade literacy levels. However many kids are not on reading level by third grade, that's what they use to determine future jail populations. So there's a program called Education Connection where we get to go and we get to read to these kids for 30 minutes, spend time with them, just be their friend and just read with them so that they can grow stronger and they can have a better future. And I know it doesn't seem like much. I know it doesn't seem like, well, we're not out there sharing the gospel. We're not out doing these major things. But I can tell you from my experience, believe it or not, you'd be surprised how often spiritual things come up just in those short conversations, just in serving those kids, humbling ourselves and serving those kids. We can make a difference. We can make a difference. Dwight Moody, at the end of his life, he was a very famous evangelist. And he said, if he had to do it all again, he said, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. This is a man who led thousands into relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, if I could do it all again, I would pour my whole life into kids. Why? Because he saw that children are the future. Children are the future. If we don't pass our faith on to them, who will pass it on to them? I want to encourage you this morning. Will you think about what it looks like for you to be involved in discipling the next generation, raising up the next generation to be followers? Parents, will you commit to going home? I don't care if you've never grown a garden, you've never been successful at a garden, give your kids a garden. Give them something to weed. Even if it's not your home, send them down the street. Let them pull weeds there. Put them to work because we're raising the future generation. Find ways for your kids. This morning, I asked my kids to serve as greeters, handing out bulletins. Find ways to engage them in the life of the church. Let them see that this is their church, that they can serve, that they can be a part of what God is doing just as much as any adult. Will you commit to sharing what God is doing in your life? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be a devotional. It's as simple as saying, you know, I was reading my Bible this morning and Here's something that God really impressed on me. Are you willing to let your kids see you fail and acknowledge it and also to let them see what God is doing in good ways and acknowledge that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that children are a blessing. Lord, we thank you for 
for the children and what they teach us. Lord, we thank you how, how often our children say things that touch us, that redirect us, that remind us that we make things so complicated. And yet, your desire is for us to walk humbly in faith and in trust in you. Lord, we pray for every single adult here this morning. God, would you help us to be disciples of the next generation? Would you help us to start just by sharing the things that you have done in our life and that you will do in our lives? God, we ask that you would help us to train this next generation of workers. God, not just workers in the workforce, but workers in your kingdom who will be passionate about reaching others, who will be passionate about caring for others. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.